another episode of The Root Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice sports news and analysis. Well, uh, <laughs> the best I can, the, the best summary I can give of this episode is that things continue to get weirder. Uh, like not just for 2020 and the college football season as a whole, but for Rice and CUSA in particular. There is nothing, we cannot do anything normally in this conference. Not and we, we were worried that, you know, man, if we don't have a normal-ish football season, are we going to have anything to talk about? <laughs> yep. <laughs> turns out, turns out we are. Like we, um, uh, I'll let y'all behind the curtain. We decided as like a, you know, just some content, a couple weeks ago that we were going to do a segment on like top 15 most important rice players this for this season. And uh, I don't know, I went up and made my list for that. And uh, we have been putting off recording that for like two or three straight weeks now because more stuff just keeps coming up. More. We will, we'll have plenty of time to debate that. It's literally, it's been in the, in the makings for a while. Oh man. But yeah, so We'll give you kind of uh, the the menu of what's on deck today because we got a lot to talk through. So first, we're going to hit on the Rice schedule, what games are currently on the schedule and everything that happened over Labor Day weekend with that. We're going to kind of pop over to Conference USA and we're going to talk about postponements and everything that's going on with the league. And then we're going to wrap things up with the guys from to the top talk podcast jamie and jason they are on the ground one of the first to put out the report about jay hobson stepping down at southern miss and we're going to try and do that in under what what, four hours how long do we have (laughs) no (laughs) yeah we'll be quicker than that but yeah, for a, a podcast that uh, where, where we have notably not uh, been the uh, most concise conversationalists uh, with this much to talk about. I'm not I'm not sure I'm optimistic that we'll be keeping this one too short, but uh, we'll try. Oh, and I will add I, this is I'm going off script already. So so don't don't be too mad at me. But we, we do have to mention I'm scrolling through. Uh, my Twitter feed at the roost to kind of get a, you know, a play by play of what's going on. And Jack Fox, uh, podcast guest, returning podcast guest, won the starting punting job in Detroit. So NFL All kicks hail off this the week. punter conclave. Yeah. So if you did not listen to the Jack Fox episode, that was before he won the job. But punter conclave, there's T-shirts. It's it's great. You need to go check that one out. But on the rice news, so first off, we're going to go back to, where are we going to go? Back to Sunday. Yeah, September the 6th. So first, before I start, uh, we've told you guys before that you need to go ahead and get on, get on board and subscribe on Patreon because this is where we're getting all of the good stuff. And, you know, we, we thought, man, I don't know what we're going to write about if there's no football. Turns out we got plenty. So... On Sunday afternoon, Rice announced that they were pushing practice back for the time being, kind of targeting a late September start date. So that went out, and I got as informed as I could be, and I went out and I reported on the Patreon page for our subscribers that evening that Rice had not done anything to their schedule yet, but they were going to postpone 
the UAB game and the Marshall game. Those were the first two games to start the season. Then Rice had a bye. So that went out on Sunday afternoon. And then I think later, go through about 24 hours, Monday night, Brett McMurphy from Stadium comes in and reports that Rice has indeed postponed those games. And so that's been going back and forth. You can go read. I guess it depends on who you look at. But as of time of recording, you know, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) The games have not been officially postponed because... Rice is, if we've seen anything so far, they're going to wait as long as possible <laughs> to do anything, which, you know, I I appreciate the caution and the consistency, if nothing else. So Rice hasn't picked up the phone and said, we're not going to play. Uh, I would believe that McMurphy's source is kind of coming from the speculative point of, hey, there, there's no way Rice can play if they're not practicing. So, right. in I that mean, sense, like, you, you pretty much have to right. start. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's correct in the sense that is it gonna happen? Like, yeah, like you can't not start camp till two weeks before you play your first game. Like, that's it. It, it doesn't work like that. But it, they have not been officially canceled yet. But um, but <laughs> it's not happening. So that puts if we're pulling out our, our calendars, which at this point I feel like every time we we mention those things get pushed back further but if we're if we're doing that we I man you know right now Carter we should be recording the preview for our second game of the season this should be army week who steamrolled middle Tennessee but we'll get there and and tie-in middle Tennessee October 24th right now is the game that I expect again pending the cancellation or postponement of Marshall UAB rather on October 3rd and October 10th, I would expect Rice to open their season on October 24th at home against Middle Tennessee, assuming Rice is going to open their season. And that is kind of the point that we have to discuss and debate what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, So basically, they bought themselves an extra three weeks. um, And they're they're essentially trying to thread the... um, the thinnest possible needle of delaying the season as long as possible to allow for um, the case numbers to continue to go down in Houston and around the country and for there to be additional advances in testing um, and, you know, everything that would make it potentially less risky to play. Um, (sighs) So let me lay out the best case scenario, right? So, yeah. and I and I will start with the caveat that I think for the past six months, we've said the best case scenario has been wishful thinking at best. So we'll see if this happens. But this is the best yeah, case that scenario. Still applies. Right. In an ideal world, if everything goes right, Rice has pushed their te- their their practice date back at least three weeks. Over the next three weeks, what Rice would like to happen is they would like to acquire those point of care tests, those 24 hour quick saliva tests, or there, I mean, there's so many ones that are flying out there right now. I can't speak to the exact test that rice is looking to get, but that that's the idea is that rice will be able to get their testing up to the level where they'll be able to test everybody and prevent an outbreak before it happens by quickly catching anybody that might test positive. Because at this point, 
you know, knock on all the wood you can, Rice is probably one of the few public universities that has had relatively no issues. Like there have been positive tests among faculty and student body, but it hasn't been to the point where they're shutting the university down, which is a credit to, I guess, the, the size of the university for one, and, and two, how, how rigorous they've been with with protocols and keeping everybody safe. Yeah, I mean, as of as of Monday, according to Rice's official COVID dashboard, they've done 15,000 plus tests since August 1st and had a total of 16 positives. That seems pretty good. Yeah. I think they had a, I'm trying to remember, one. Of, I think it was Rick Mello maybe had a statement or at some point uh, a week ago and, and noted the positivity rate was under like 0.05% or something. I mean, we. I mean, we could probably do the math. This is a Rice podcast, but sixteen yeah. out of fifteen thousand. It's a uh, that's that's point one one percent. I actually have the positivity rate on there. Um, oh. And then, like in the yeah. last week, they've done thirty eight hundred tests and had three positives, which is less than point one percent. So, I mean, in, in terms of the situation on campus, uh, things are about as good for Rice as as you could possibly hope for at this point. Um, so it, 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 we will give, you know, there's pros and cons and, and lots of debate going on, but we have to give the university credit with this. Like if the purpose of college is to go and get a degree and learn things, Rice has enabled that to happen safely. Yeah. I, I, you know, I guess the thing I just wonder about is that like, I don't really understand what they expect to be different by delaying for three weeks, essentially. Like, is there a particular test they have in mind and they need a certain supply of it and they need those extra couple of weeks to get the certain supply of a particular rapid test that they're looking at? Because you're not going to have it, it. You know, if you're counting on some like. For there to be some whole new test that comes out and gets manufactured at scale and you can buy something like something that you're not even aware of now, like. Things don't happen on that time no. scale, and and the decision makers at Rice are well aware of that. So, it that's like I I completely understand the idea of just wanting to buy as much time as possible, and you know with the situation that Rice is in of having that buy where it is and having already pushed it back, and there are already Eastern Division teams that are only playing seven conference games because of Old Dominion in CUSA, so that. You know, if you can reschedule that UAB game and there was already a flex for the conference title game. And so there's a perfect opportunity to get in that seven games while still delaying as long as possible. And I understand that. I just. So here's here's kind of the thing and 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 where I'm landing is. You know, I, I alluded to in into my piece that it's on the site that this is a Hail Mary, right? So, like, who knows what the percentages of, of connecting all these dots? And you mentioned threading the needle. If Rice at some point has gotten to the point where they have a line of sight on what the requirement is, because I, I feel like up to this point, it's just like kind of we'll know it when we see it as far as whether or not we can play football right now. If Rice has gotten to a point where they said, OK, this is what we need. We need these tests and we, it, it, and we have a no or no go. I'm. Given the hesitancy of where the and maybe caution is a better word, the caution that the administration and everyone has so far, I would I would think that if there wasn't a 
reasonable chance that those tests could be acquired, then last week's announcement would have been a postponement cancellation of the season. Like, I, I really do think that Rice is at that place where if there really was no chance that this is happening, I don't think they would have delayed. That That's me. That's pure speculation on, on my part. But if they are pushing this back and they, they cited in their release that that was what they needed. And those those tests of, of some variety are getting out there and, and available. Like, at least now there is a window. And from that point, like, if you can't, if you, if we get to the end of September or beginning of October and there's another pushback, like, it's over. Like, yeah, no, I mean, you, you're not you, playing you, a cannot, three game. you cannot push back farther than this without just, I mean, and you're not going to punt for a spring season at this point because, like, the rest of the conference has already started playing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's either this or bust. There is no more, like, there is no more breathing room here. Like this is the, and in some ways that's nice, right? Like in some I have ways to it's say, nice. I feel like yeah, we haven't it, had a firm end line on anything. There's forever. a bright line. Like it's either going to happen here or it's not going to happen at all. And it's nice to have that certainty. And I'm, I'm sure in some ways, like the, the athletic department and the, and the, the football coaching staff is, is happy to have that level of certainty. Um, yeah. And so, and then in the, if we're going on, you know, this plays out of schedule. Rice is able to start the season up at the end of October, as you know, is kind of the hope at this point in time. Conference USA had already announced the flexibility on the championship date. So it's scheduled right now for December the 5th, that weekend. Uh, they announced they could push it back to December the 12th. I think just about every major conference or every conference that's playing this year has announced a flexible championship date or some sort, yeah, given the or, leeway. Or they've what, already delayed theirs. Like I'm, I, or I think the ACC had like three, right? Yeah, and the SEC, I don't remember if it's currently scheduled for like the twelfth, and they've just pushed it back a week, but have just have said they could push it back another week to the nineteenth, or if they've just already said that it's going to be on the nineteenth, and the twelfth is like a makeup day. Um, but it's something like like I know there's there's a. Yeah, it's, so there'll be extra time in there. And I think I think Chris Vanini reported this after, you know, news had broken that Rice was pushing practice back and those games were probably going to be postponed. He said in the first week of the college football season, we've had nine games played, nine FBS games and nine postponements. Which <laughs> if this is the beginning of the season when everything is supposed to be fine because everyone's in their own bubble yeah. and we're batting 50%, I'm going to go ahead and guarantee you right now that Conference USA is not going to be able to... Uh, they would be the outlier if they finished everything with no cancellations or postponements and were able to go through and play a championship game on December 5th. So I think what is most likely to happen is that UAB will be that team slotted in on that final weekend or whatever weekend that is after the scheduled schedule games. Uh, it'll be UAB and Rice. So Rice would still be able to play the entire Western Division should they start against Middle Tennessee on October the 24th. Yeah, and it, it's sort of extremely convenient that the schedule worked out that way for them, that they were able to you know, basically cancel two games but get three extra weeks out of it and then only have to make up one of those. 
Yes, and it and it works out that UAB and Marshall also have a a mutual off date, I believe. So that game could theoretically get slotted in, and UAB would kept be kept whole, and so would Marshall. That's the theory. So who knows if that's going to happen? That makes too much sense. Too much sense for a conference that never makes sense. But who knows? So that's that's kind of the expectations at this point. I don't. We've gone back and forth when they started playing football. I was optimistic, and at this point, I until everything gets shut down, I'm going to continue to have hope that there's going to be a season. But uh, I've gone back and forth. At the point, I, like basically the thought, I'm like, would Rice postpone things if they didn't think there was a way? I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. If not, like you're talking about the mental health of a hundred guys in that in the Patterson Center and everything else. Who, like, if if you're gonna like rip off the bandaid, you know, like, right? Like that's. I don't know. I, the there's a very pessimistic side in me that looks at this like, like it's almost an excuse to be able to cancel it really late without getting as much heat for it because you've done this like, oh, we we put it off as long as we could. We tried so hard and we we set this bright line rule and we just couldn't get to that bright line rule. Like it it feels like more of a um uh a CYA if you will. Uh, than a, um, I don't know, a legitimate attempt at a schedule. Uh, that's not my my whole feeling on it, but there's a there's a part of me that knows what university administrations are like and the the things with which they are concerned. And by things, I mean one thing, which is liability. Uh, so th- there is a very pessimistic part of me that looks at looks at it like that but i i think your point that you know um what would be the point of 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 doing this now if you if you didn't have some hope that it was actually going to come through like why wouldn't you just cancel it now so i don't know i have to say i have no idea how i feel and i have no (laughs) idea where i am and i have no idea what like percent chance that this actually happens so well Well, and if we if we take it to the football side of things, because that is allegedly what we're talking about. <laughs> Rice has every reason from a football standpoint to play. Like we, we've talked oh, yeah. the offseason about this defense and how good they're going to be and how they're returning everybody and basically haven't had anybody of consequence uh, opt out. We have um, Tyree Thornton and the transfer portal, which we talked on a, a couple weeks ago, right after we recorded our defensive preview show. Um, it's fine we do wish him the best but i mean that's really the only only thing missing and if mike collins is as good as people think he might be and you're talking about a southern miss who doesn't have a head coach in a middle tennessee that i just like rice like could have beaten army last year it would have been a stretch like they had the ball driving with a fourth down and it bounced off uh was it jordan myers fingertips like on the 20 yard line or something like a possession away Middle Tennessee got blown out by 42 and that was the healthy minute middle Tennessee that's supposed to have their defense back. Like I'm just saying like the schedule rice has and just the craziness of this season, like 
it would not be the craziest thing. And the folks over at, at Underdog Dynasty, we hadn't chatted with any of them in, in a while, but uh, talking with them offline, and they they put together the predictions for the the season. And I think every one of them put Rice as the sleeper team. Yeah, every I'm single like, one picked a for their. They picked a sleeper from each each side of the conference, and all of them picked Rice out of the West. Yeah, it's like no, everyone's like, it's everyone's afraid to admit that Rice might be good at football. <laughs> is what it sounds like. Like you know, just from the perspective of what they could have accomplished this season. Uh, it's gonna be like a really, really bitter disappointment to lose this season if they if they don't have it. Because, I mean, you know, we all expected. You know, before we knew how weird this year was gonna be, how weird the season was gonna be, we all expected them to take a step forward this year, and it was gonna be one of those. Well, you know, if things break right, like they could make some noise in the West. But like, man, the more things have trended, like if you could guarantee a season, the more confident I felt that you know, Rice is good, would be a serious contender in the West. And uh, to just lose that now would be, you know, for, for yeah. everybody involved with or invested in the program, I think would be, I don't know, it'd be rough. Yeah, I mean, who knows if, Who knows what Louisiana Tech, we'll get to that, is, is doing if they're playing or, or when they're playing. Like, UAB beat an FCS team and was fine. Like, they're going to be really good. but. Rice has hung around with them before, so it would be a shame. I know, I know that the the confidence of those in in the Patterson Center about what this team would be capable of doing should they get on the field is is still remarkably high. They just want the chance. Yeah, and we certainly so, want them to have it. Stay tuned. Keep listening to the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. All of those things. <laughs> It's going to be a bumpy ride, and if anything, from this week, you know, we haven't even had rice football yet, and we have not run out of things to talk about. Uh, yeah, I think no. the next next piece, Conference USA related, is you know when when the news so the news broke that Rice was pushing back their practices, and and I I put out that those games are probably going to get postponed, and then Southern Miss and parts ways with their head coach, which uh, Jamie and Jason are going to talk to, and then. After that kind of dies down for like a day, Louisiana Tech and Baylor were supposed to play on Saturday. On Tuesday night, that game gets canceled because Louisiana Tech has an outbreak within their team that left them with, oh, I had that number up in front of me. Carter, do you have it? How many players? I think 38 players tested positive. Yeah, and prior to, I guess, another round of testing this week, I'm not sure what the exact timeline is, but at one point this week, they had 47 players that were good to go, you know, either not positive or uh, in, in quarantine for contact tracing. So We don't know if those were running backs, wide receivers, like they could have had a healthy defense and that's it, like... Yeah, like that's if you the players were all distributed perfectly, that's less than an NFL roster. So, uh, yeah, and, 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 and so, something tells me that the, the virus did not choose to affect all position groups equally. <laughs> <laughs> this is back to like uh, what uh, June, July, like uh, COVID doesn't spread in conference games, kind of that, that the running <laughs> joke. So, yeah, but no, no, no. I, I will say, so context, and we were all very fortunate in, in Houston with, with Hurricane Laura and how it was a, it trended away and, and did not hit the city, but it did hit Lake Charles. 
pretty bad. And power in Louisiana has been out for, for weeks at this point and, and could be getting worse. And so part of the issue that was reported was, you know, with all of these players from, from in-state and in the program and everything, the displacement from the hurricane and everything going on in the middle of a pandemic. So like it, yeah, I think there's some might be more willing to pile on and say, you know, how could you, obviously you slipped. And I, I don't think that was the case. I think you're trying to manage a, a pandemic hurricane, which is so 2020 that I don't even know. Um, so that was one piece. And then here's the other piece that in yeah, the midst and of- for those not super familiar with tech or Louisiana, um, it's in Ruston, which is uh, not near the coast. It's 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 up in the 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 ankle of the boot, if you will, uh, basically due east of Shreveport along I-20. But um, it is basically due north of of where the hurricane made landfall. So and I'm, um, and I'm fairly certain that so Laura hit is a, a category four, I believe, like what, mm-hmm. like 10 mile an hour wind speed short of being a category five or something like yeah. that. And then it kept going. And I'm fairly certain it was still a, a category one or, or or dwindling when it got to Ruston, which is yeah, I mean, it, it was moving real fast. Like one of the things we were con- like that we knew about it when we still thought it might hit Houston was that um, all of the, you know, like everyone here in Houston trusts uh, Space City weather religiously. And I remember one of the things they were saying was that there was very little flooding risk with this one because there was almost no chance that it was going to just like hit a wall and hover the way Harvey did. Um, it, so it by the time it made la- it was getting close to making landfall, it was sort of really kind of booking it straight north. So um, I it's, it wouldn't be surprising that it still had a lot of steam behind it when it uh, hit the northern part of the state. Yeah, so you're telling me if it had not been for this that we might have overlooked mentioning a hurricane in the middle <laughs> because of everything. This is not a hurricane podcast, but next time we'll, we'll try and mention it better than the weekend. I mean, it's a Houston based podcast, which makes it like at least a little bit a hurricane podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a, we'll put that in our bio. Mostly rice, some hurricane. Partially hurricane podcast. Who knows? Her, doesn't hurricane season run through like like November officially or something? So yeah, like, yeah, we, we still have got time. a little bit left. Um, hopefully not, but uh. On the on the tech front, I, I did I saw this. So David Smoke does a a fantastic job over at Sikkim Sikkim three sixty five. He he covers Baylor, and this becomes important because Baylor was still under the impression as of early Tuesday evening that they were going to be playing Tech this weekend. And so I I saw this report out for him last night on everything that was going on, and I thought this was. If if we're trying to wade through, especially the the Rice administration and the caution and everything that's going on on, on the Houston front, so Smoke says that he he learned from a source that Louisiana Te- Louisiana Tech football had a team meeting on Tuesday night around 7 p.m. and everyone was told that they were playing the game against Baylor. Everyone headed straight to practice. They were called off the field 30 minutes later and told the game was canceled. So that's troubling Oof. on. On a couple fronts, one, you're four days out from playing a college football game, and the staff finds out, like, I don't, maybe, like, testing comes back, and someone gets the the, the red report and calls up the coach and said, stop, stop, stop. Like, we don't know exactly how it went down, but 
the fact that you could be practicing it, think you're playing a game, and 30 minutes later be told you're not, and potential spread of, of the virus among everything else going on, it's just, it's not a good situation. No, it's it just kind of hammers home the importance of of having a protocol and having a plan and and knowing exactly what's going to happen not just to prevent outbreaks but to know what to do in case there is one because Louisiana Tech will not be the last team that has an outbreak of this magnitude this season like I, I mean I sure hope they are but that uh, seems a rather unrealistic thing to aspire to so uh yeah and I think I saw I know it's not uniform across all the conferences because that would make too much sense. <laughs> but I believe the Big 12 is the only the only conference I've seen so far that has put numbers on it to on a positional on a a total traveling party cap. Uh, I believe 12 x amount of players to the game and you need to have they had it down to like you have to have this many offensive linemen, this many defensive linemen. Uh, not a, you know, if you don't have a four deep at defensive tackle or nose guard, like you can't play. It wasn't that thorough, but they at least had some semblance of a, hey, this is what we need. Uh, I have not heard of anything from Conference USA on that level. Uh, I would not be holding my breath that we'd get something that detailed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, we've had multiple Big 12. I think this is the third Big 12 game that was supposed to be an opener from this weekend that's been pushed back. So, yeah, some people have started, some haven't, some might not. And I think the last the last part from from week one that I wanted to to mention is for those who have gone college football starved and will watch anything that is college football. And heck, let's be honest, that was that was half of you listening to this podcast before (laughs) before COVID started. The Navy and BYU game was Monday night football this week in, in lieu of the NFL being underway. And end of Labor Day weekend. And I, I'm trying to remember at what point I pulled up the game midway through the second quarter after getting kids to bed and finishing dinner and, and the whole nine yards. And it was like 40 some odd, 42 to nothing. It was not pretty. Yeah. I uh I was following along with that one. And uh yeah, it uh it got out of hand pretty quick. Yeah, and then so I think BYU blowing out Navy on a Monday night on Labor Day weekend probably would not have been like a big deal had this been a normal season, but it's been anything but a normal season and I'm going to butcher his name but i'm gonna try uh, Niamatololo. yeah Niamatololo. there you go so the head coach navy comes out after the game and he says the thing that you're supposed to say if you're a head football coach that has just had your uh your rear handed to you he's like this is a thousand percent my fault we weren't ready you know Everything went wrong. I'm sorry. We're going to be better. Oh, I have the quote. Uh, one team was playing a game. We were scrimmaging. We weren't prepared. That's my fault. You know, that's normal. Yep. Then he goes on and he says that 
the last time that Navy hit people was their bowl game and that they were taking COVID-19 protocols so stringent and cautious that they essentially had spent the last month hitting tackling dummies and blocking backs. They hadn't really had a real football practice and then went out to play BYU on national TV. And it went about as well as you would expect it to. <laughs> yeah. I, and I would be interested, like, I, I, I wasn't entirely clear how much he meant. Like, I had heard it in terms of, like, they weren't tackling or they didn't have contact in practice, which, on the one hand, you uh, can, you know, like, it sort of makes sense that, that things would not go well in that case. But also, like, that is something that you can get used to. Like, I, I'm pretty sure the Ivy League does not allow contact in any practices. Uh, maybe, I don't know if that's the whole year or just, like, in season. Um, and they still seem to manage to play football. But also, if, I don't know, if they just weren't having, if they were having, like, regular practices and just not tackling, I I would be very curious to to know whose advice they were following on that. Because, like, you know, if you're going through, if you're, like, lining up and you've got offensive linemen next to each other and you've got quarterbacks in line to throw passes and you're, you know, you've got people in line to do drills, like, if they're standing around next to each other, that's not any less risky than tackling from a COVID perspective. Like, it, it's... You know, I, I think we have enough science on this at this point for to establish that, like, the huge majority of these cases come from being close to other people for extended periods of time in enclosed spaces. And if you're already standing around next to each other for the length of a practice and things like that, you're not really substantially increasing your risk of passing passing it from one one player to another by just having the contact that you would usually have, but or your chance of winning. This might be. I mean, we we overreact to week one every year, right? So this might be my quote of the year, subject to change, but I think it might be. To to me, this is me Niamata Olo. To me, it's more than games. We're probably the cleanest team in the country. Unfortunately, we suck at football right now. Direct quote. Head coach at Navy. Cleanest team in the country. We suck at football. <laughs> yeah, Which, I mean, like, like... <laughs> it, it might just be that, like, okay, maybe they were a little sloppier than they would have been if they had had normal practice, but Navy might also just be really bad. Like, you know, and... I think this was already expected to be like a pretty decent BYU team. Like I think they got back like their whole offensive line and stuff. And one of the things they did to win that game was they just ran completely over Navy. Yeah. Um, Running. It was always going to be kind of suspect to that with, with their, their smaller defensive lines and stuff anyway. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know what to make of that one at this point. Like I think ascribing too much to the, the practice thing at this point is probably premature. Well, and and I'm not, we don't know all of the parts and pieces, but for those, and I mean, the big 10 has been, you know, they've been saber rattling and talking about getting back to football since it got shut down. But it, people talking about like what, you know, why, 
you know, Meanwhile, Rice... the Pac-12 is just like, they were just like, yep, we're not playing football. And they were up cool. front and, and consistent about the messaging to begin with. And then, I don't know, I guess everybody just went to the beach or up into the mountains, you know, depending on what, what part of the coast you're on. And uh, they've been just chill, so. Yeah. No Jim Harbaugh's to, to get quotes. You need more colorful characters. Like, who's the most animated, controversial Pac-12 coach? Uh, I got I, is it Herm? Yeah, probably. <laughs> there you go. He's more of like just, you know, the nice elder statesman. He's not really all that. I still, I, I think about like almost every day at his introductory, this is way off topic, but his introductory press conference at Arizona Devils? State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When somebody was like, uh, yeah, I'm so-and-so from Devil's Digest. And Herm was like, whoa, 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 Devils. You know, I'm a Christian now. And it was like, Nobody could quite figure out. It's like, does he know that their mascot is the Sun Devils? Like, has anyone told him? They're going to rebrand. They're going to pull a Tampa Bay Devil race, and they're just going <laughs> to be the Suns. <laughs> just drop the devil. Oh, yeah, yeah. All that but, devil stuff was a little too blasphemous for Herm. All that, all that aside, I think what we can learn from the Navy-BYU game is that, you know, we setting aside the health and safety protocols which you can't set aside that is very front and center right now but looking past that this is why you can't play a football game without real practice like and i'm not like we don't know like the navy could have lost by 50 regardless of how hard they practice that's true but i can guarantee you that having a full regimen of practice that they would have felt comfortable with the likelihood of them being blown out by 50 I mean, maybe they lose by 40 or 30, but like the game is different. And that is the that is the absolute like worst case scenario for Rice and the administration to go through everything, all the hurdles they can do to finally find a way to play a season and to thrust it on the team in two weeks. And then they just go out and it takes them five weeks to get up to speed. And by then the season's over. I mean, it's just a demonstration of like you can't. Um. You know, if you look at the NFL and as compared to other sports and like the draft and those sorts of things, if an NFL team is going to tank, what they have to do is to get rid of all their good players and play bad players because you can't just like choose to play poor. Like you can't just not play football at your best. You can't go half speed because people get hurt. when you Like it's it's such a violent sport. Also, people not, want to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get paid for sucking on film. Yeah. Um, but you can't play football when you're unprepared to play football. Like uh, some other sports, if you're unprepared to play, you're just bad. If in football, if you're totally unprepared to play, you get hurt. And that's, you know, on top of everything this year to to have the the normal violent aspects of football be worse than usual is is very much not something you want yeah we'll we'll pass on that and just one more layer on <laughs> the complicated situation that you know carter every time we record this i'm more and more grateful that we are the ones sitting behind the microphone and not in charge of anything really important it's nice yeah T- tell me about it 
Well, all right. Uh, I think we will uh, pop it over to our guests now. All right, and we are here now with our guests, uh, Jamie Arrington and Jason Bailey of the To The Top Talk podcast, the premier Southern Miss podcast in all the land. Um, I assume any of you who are listening have have kept abreast enough of COSA News to to know why they, they're here. Um, but uh, how are y'all doing? How are you feeling right now? Hi, uh, this is Jason. I, I'm I'm feeling great. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I'm feeling a heck of a lot better than I was feeling last Thursday. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, it, it feels like last Thursday was just forever ago. Um, since then, you know, I've been telling everybody the same thing, but my phone has just completely been hyperventilating uh, on an hourly basis. Uh, I've talked to everybody I think that I've ever known that's been a Southern Miss fan and some people that I've just met. And, you know, it's, it's, how am I doing? I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing better than I was then. And I'm looking forward to getting this, this next chapter of Southern Miss football rolling. I'm feeling relevant because, uh, <laughs> I think we've done at least one or two podcasts or radio shows every day this week. And that's a change. That's a change from the usual. So it's, it's good to be with you guys. And, uh, it's been, and I, I'm not saying this to rub it in, but it's been, <laughs> It's been fun. Even it went as poorly as it went last week. It's nice to be somewhat in the spotlight. Uh, even though we didn't we didn't win the game last week, it, it's it's been nice to at least get some attention. Yeah. So, well, I guess we'll start at the beginning for for those who who were fortunate enough maybe to not watch the Southern Miss South Alabama game. I'm kind of you know as we do nowadays, you watch it on one screen and you have your phone pulled up with Twitter or some other device, right? And so I'm scrolling through Twitter and it wasn't even, we didn't even get to the end of the first quarter when Southern Miss fans are saying, fire Jay Hobson, move on, we need a new coach. And I even put that in my, my recap piece for, for the, the week that was of, of week one of Conference USA football. But uh, what happened that got us from, because, I, you know, every game you're losing and half the ones you win, the fans want to wire, fire the coach. What What got us from there to... I mean, they were all. It looked like like Twitter bots were commenting on it, and then you guys put it out and like. So give us like the story of how we go from man, we should fire the coach to the coach actually got fired in a pandemic after or, one like, game in a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a there's a lot of different uh, things that go into that answer, and I guess you start off by looking at you know the past few years. It's been a very I, you know, it's it, Jay Hobson's tenure. There's been some highs, but for the most part, it's it was a pretty mediocre tenure. Uh, in 2016, uh, he went seven and six with a win over Kentucky in the first game, and then a win in the New Orleans Bowl against uh, Louisiana Lafayette in the uh, that in that final game of the year. Then in 2017, eight and five with a, a blowout loss to Florida State in the Independence Bowl. In 2018, no bowl, went six and five. Uh, last year, 2019, seven and six with a loss to Tulane, a team that we've historically dominated. Um, you know, and then this year, of course, you you start with season zero and one. But but the past four games, you really there was something just that seemed off. There was something that felt like it's missing. And Jay Hobson is a guy that we all love. Jay Hobson is a guy who has had multiple tenures at Southern Miss, whether it be at a, as an assistant coach or as a defensive coordinator, and most recently as a head coach. So he's a guy not a lot of people know. Uh, a very, very personable guy. Um, a totally different guy 
in person than what you see at the press conferences. Um, but it's been a rather disappointing tenure. There's, the, you know, the past few years we haven't been able to get the running game going at all. And so fast forward to this season, and, and let's start with the game. In the game the other night, it, the, you saw more of the same. You didn't see any improvement. You there was there was not the energy there that you wanted to see. It didn't seem like the effort was there. It felt like it felt like we should have been the better team. And I'm not and, saying that arrogantly. Right. Well, this this was just to kind of set the stage here. This was opening night, essentially, of, of, of the college football season. The first game featuring two FBS opponents, national TV, as double-digit favorites. Double-digit favorites in the game. And then you come out, and you're getting outplayed. You're getting outcoached. And it never felt like it was – I mean, you, we'd, we'd have runs where we'd get back into it. It's like, oh, maybe we can pull this off. But there was never – South Alabama just wanted it more. So I think that set a lot of people off. But – with Jay Hobson, you look at the performance in the last four games. You've had some turmoil on the team. You know, once we we get into you know through this spring in the pandemic, you get to fall camp, and all of a sudden you got seven players not only opting out of the season, which I totally understand if they if they choose to opt out, you know, because of the COVID nineteen, totally get that. But they all not only opted out but entered the transfer portal, and these are guys that were starters these were guys that have played a huge role in the team the past few years and so it was kind of a it kind of was a little bit of a you start scratching your head thinking okay is something really going on more than what we are seeing and uh then you see some emotional outbursts from certain players on twitter and you kind of felt like okay something is definitely off and then after the game the other night um it was it was pretty much at a fever pitch now, my understanding is the more that I've heard about this, the more clarification I've got on this was that it was Jay Hobson who brought this option to the table. And he had had a uh, his father passed away this summer. You, you, you and he did. I don't think he took that well. You add that on with with all of the complications of trying to make football happen. It just seemed like he he felt like it was time to to move on and, and allow the program to move on. So he met with our athletic director. They were able to work out a, an agreement, a mutual agreement for her, for the school and the head coach to part ways. So it's something that is was really a shocker. But uh, and I thought after the game, then I was like, okay, well he'll get through this season, and then that's it. I didn't expect it to be after one game, but it kind of gives the uh, program an opportunity to kind of move forward right away, and and you know. Uh, We'll see how the season goes. Jason, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with everything you just said. But, uh, you know, in, like in Jay's defense, I mean, first of all, everybody at Southern Miss has adored Jay Hobson, you know, since he was hired. And he did do a lot of good things here. Jamie, miss, Jamie mentioned the Kentucky win. But, you know, this guy also came in and didn't look for a quick fix. Uh, I, I always referred to Jay as, as, a, as a program stabilizer. Uh, we went through the Ellis Johnson thing where, you know, we didn't want to gain and hired Munkin. And toward the end of Munkin's uh, that last year that he was here, he went Juco heavy and we won a bunch of games. Maybe should have won a couple more, but he got us back to being relevant again, then bolted. Um, and that's fine. And we thought that, you know what, we've already we've gone that route. Now let's hire somebody as close as we can get to Jeff Bauer. That's the, the coach that we have for the longest time that had all the winning seasons and uh, everybody's favorite son. And this is pretty close to that. In fact, Jay worked on Bauer's staff. So I always looked at, at Jay as, as, you know, 
just stabilizing the program. And when I say he built it right, you know, he went after freshmen uh, right off the bat. Uh, when 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 Munkin left, you know, our, our scholarship numbers were kind of dwindling. Um, it took a little while to get those scholarship numbers back up. Um, the only way you can do that is, is by having freshman classes. And, you know, I think now we are somewhere around that 85 mark. I'm not even sure if we've made it there yet, but we got close to it. And in, in this, and that's the things that I thought that he did good. It's just after we got to that stabilized mark, we, we started, or I started to wonder, and I, don't, I think Jamie feels the same way, if, you know, we could do any better than that. And it was starting to seem like, um, that, you know, I mean, the, the ceiling wasn't that high. The floor might be that might not be that low, but the ceiling definitely wasn't that high. So here we are, right, in, in, in a pool of mediocrity. And at the same time, you love this guy. <laughs> so it was it was weird and even weirder towards the end of last year. You know, we the, the, those last three games Jamie talked about, getting hammered by Western Kentucky, getting hammered by FAU, getting embarrassed by Tulane. You know, that put a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And then you come out and you lose to somebody who got a football program about an hour and a half ago. Uh, you know, so. Oh, and, that is and, a good and, point. And, and, and look, and, and they beat us every way you could beat us. Um, they beat us, you know, uh, with effort. They beat us with, you know, passing. They beat us with running. They Everything they did, uh, they did better than we did. Not that we didn't have flashes and we had, we still have good players on our team that can do good things. But anybody who came and watched that game tonight, I mean, uh, last Thursday night, um, I think would agree that South Alabama was the better team on the field, and that's just kind of unacceptable. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mention it kind of going the way it did because, you know, Jamie, it, it feels like, what, three three months ago, I guess, you came on the podcast and we kind of talked about the eventualities of, of this season should it happen and what it would look like, and we basically came under the agreement that Jay Hobson was kind of on this. And I think Carter, you and I actually coined it at some point weeks previous that the, the lukewarm, the mild seat of he's, yeah. he's good enough to not get fired, but eh. And so I guess this was the, the door number three of the coach actually bringing it up himself, which I mean, I, I guess long run y'all are sounding y'all you, you, Jamie, you sound more optimistic now, and I kind of hear that in your voice too, Jason, about you know next year and the the direction of this team than you were, I guess what seven days ago. Yeah, absolutely, and you know I think it starts with the with the leadership. You know we've we've kind of been a revolving door of athletic directors, you know, in this decade. You know, starting with 2011, I think we've been through. Let's see, I think this is our fifth athletic director. Um. And Jeremy McLean is a guy that I think we were really excited to get back to Hattiesburg last year. So he he was an athletic led director at Delta State, which is a, a school here in in uh, Mississippi. Uh, he then he came here as a, a assistant athletic director at Southern Miss, kind of the second command. Then he went off to be the head athletic director at Troy, and now he's back here at Southern Miss. And I feel good about the uh, his his the hires that he's made. So we'll start there. Uh, he hired Neil Brown at Troy. Which to me, you know, former uh, offensive coordinator at Kentucky, I thought at the time I thought that was an excellent hire, and it ended up. I mean, he had a great run at Troy, and now is the head coach at West Virginia. Um, and then, you know, when Jeremy got here to Southern Miss last year, one of the first one of his first duties was hiring a basketball coach. And I think it's safe to say we really we everyone feels excellent about the direction that we're going under Jay Ladner, even. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think we thought Jay would be good, but this is, I, I think long-term, I think this will be better than we could have even expected with what he's been able to do thus far and, and his attitude and his approach. So I think we feel good about having Jeremy be the one to make this call. Um, I left the game, gosh, about halfway through the fourth quarter the other night, just kind of had enough. And that's not like me. So I kind of just thought that this was going to be a rough. I was considering maybe not going to a couple of games, just kind of sit it out, see how it goes. Cause it was just, it was angering us so much just to, to see how things had, had devolved. And now you have a situation where, uh, you know, you have COVID and then you have the expectations are not going to be as high the rest of the season because of the circumstances. So you really have nothing to lose. And we have an interim coach right now who is a Texas guy, by the way. He was the – I'm not for guys, sure if you guys are familiar with Scotty Walden, but he's always kind of been this boy wonder, you know, from the time he's gotten here. There's been a lot of chatter about him having a bright future in coaching. And Scotty Walden was the youngest NCAA head coach back in 2016. He was 26 years old. He was the head coach of a D3 school in Texas – uh, Marshall, Texas, up there kind of near Shreveport, um, East Texas Baptist University. Now, during his time there, he was 7-3 and three as the head coach. Uh, he averaged 49.9 points per game, uh, 564.3 yards per game, and 365.3 passing yards per game. And I'm not saying, you know, I understand that was D3, but that kind of feels more like what we're used to on offense you know, particularly since the Fedora era. Um, and and I've honestly been surprised that when we've been able to keep him here because I know he's had some attention. He was promoted to co-offensive coordinator. And, and you know, be completely honest, uh, our understanding is that there has been some uh, a restrictor plate on the coordinators on offense the past few years at Southern Miss. So I'm curious to see. I don't know exactly what will change, but I feel like this is an audition for him because he is a guy – that a lot of people think a lot of a very positive guy, a lot of a very energetic guy, a very likable guy, and it kind of you're just kind of curious to see what he can do, sink or swim. If he if he sinks, it's the expectations aren't really there to do much more than that right now. But if he but if he goes out and swims, if he goes out and shines, he could be setting himself up to be uh, you know the head coach from here on out. Um, so there's a little bit of excitement to that, just a change. It kind of felt like the program had gotten a little stale. And there was a lot of frustrations with certain things that Jay Hobson would do. He's an old ball coach. He's a ball control guy. He's a guy that slings timeouts on defense. Um, you know, so you're, you're kind of excited about just the possibilities of what, what might be. Going into this knowing that it's, it's going to be highly unlikely for us to come out and win a conference championship given the circumstances. So I think everybody's just, just excited for a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and for the record, while he's obviously an interim, Walden is uh, now the youngest head coach in FBS by a solid four years over, uh, uh, I think, Sean Lewis at Kent State is the next youngest. So, uh, And he's he's 30, is that right? He's 30. Yeah, he's like a year, he's like a year older than I am. What are we doing <laughs> with our lives, guys? I was about to ask you guys what you were doing when you were 30 years old, but now I hear that you're I, not even 30 yet, so I'm feeling older as we speak. <laughs> It's amazing I, just, I could I log on the I just turned 30, Skype. so what I'm doing at 30 is this right now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, can, can you see yourself right now running a Division One football program, especially in the midst of, you know, the political 
uh, thing that's going on and COVID and everything else? I mean, no, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll take it one step further. You know, I think if we were just talking football uh, right now, yeah, I would feel pretty good about Scotty. Uh, and, and I do, I, I mean, everybody's pulling for him. I, I, I just, I look at it as if I were him. And I remember what I was doing at 30 years old, and there's zero chance I could have pulled it off. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that, I mean, football's going to be part of his job. But, you know, it's, it's, it's more than that right now, I mean, as, as everybody knows. And, um, you know, it, it's time to step up. It, 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 I tell you this, as far as just Twitter reaction from the players, it's been outstanding um, ever since he has, um, you know, been declared the interim head coach. And, uh, you know, that's positive. I'm just seeing there's so many there's so many positive things everywhere. There's there's people signing up for Eagle Club. There's people buying season tickets. There's people calling me, um, you know, asking what I think about it and saying, like, are you you know, can you get me tickets to the next game? There's there's just an excitement that hasn't been around in quite a while, specifically since the middle of last year to now. And that's that's uh that's that's definitely a positive thing, you know, to, to have people interested. Cause I think they were kind of teetering on that, you know, on the on, on the border of becoming apathetic. So that's definitely what you don't want. Like we went from like really, really uh you know, looking forward to the season to everybody's really pissed off. <laughs> So now, yeah, about to say six yeah. months of waiting for any kind of sport to I hate sports <laughs> that which is yes part of the course, sort of right and, and maybe that's that's twenty twenty in a nutshell. I mean everybody's you know trigger happy. Everybody's just like you know waiting to explode with anything. So something like that happens, like you pointed out, the first game of the year, FBS versus FBS on national TV and a team you're supposed to route. Um, so yeah, that it, it came to a, it came to a halt pretty quick. And. To be fair, I'm thinking if we go, we don't even have to go out of state. I'm thinking Matt Luke at, at, at Ole Miss when he got the job as an interim. I'm trying to remember a situation when, you know, ideally if you're the athletic director or whoever's appointing the interim coach, you have to pick a person in the room that the, you know the players aren't going to riot at, right? Like that would right. be that would that would be a bad AD move. So I would I sure. would hope that the coaches or the the players rather are are excited about at least getting a a look at at Scotty. And like you said, like, it's going to be interesting. And that's the goal, right? What, didn't you just want interesting at this point? Yeah, we'll just take it. We'll take interesting over <laughs> over last Thursday night. I mean, um, you yeah, know. Inter- entertainment is probably as much as you can hope for. At entertainment, this point, I feel like <laughs> we're, we're taking we're, we're taking a very Zen like approach with the rest of the season. <laughs> And, when, uh, I, when I think of Southern Miss fans, the word Zen just comes to my head. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, that's very fair. Very fair. And, and I mean, from from this point on, it, it's kind of water under the bridge as far as the season, like you'd mentioned out. But I, I guess if, if there was, you know, reading between the lines, if there was some sort of agreement with with Jay Hobson, and it's not like he was, you know, breaking the bank at Southern Miss. I think he was one of the lower paid head coaches in the conference. Obviously, you know, after a coach leaves and moves on, everybody under the sun speculates that who's going to be the next guy. So obviously, Scotty's going to get his audition. But, you know, I've heard everybody, every name thrown out. Uh, I think Larry Fedora coming back was probably one of the more interesting ones that I see. That would be fun if y'all could go land him. But, uh, is there anybody else that is kind of like 
begun to make the wheels or is this kind of like, you know, we'll evaluate this in like, what, four months after three <laughs> months been, after. There's been some chatter. Um, I, it doesn't sound from, uh, you know, all indications from our athletic director. It sounds like it's going to be something that he's probably not going to engage in uh, during the season. He wants the players to be able to focus on the season at hand and they don't want any rumors going around about you know, who may or may not be their coach or, you know, if their coach might not be there. So I'll start off with Scotty. You know, if, if, if this goes well, it could, you know, if it doesn't go well, it's not the end of his coaching career, obviously, but if it does, he could catapult that on to being the next head coach. Some of the hotter names that I, that I've heard, um, Will Hall, who was an offensive coordinator right now at Tulane, his father, Bobby Hall was a head coach here in uh, Mississippi for a long time. Um, a kind of an outspoken guy, uh, you know, a lot of Southerners fans are not really a fan of the guy, but his son Will is a totally different animal. Uh, when he was head coach at West Alabama and West Georgia, he went 56 and 20, had a pretty solid career there. But he he's a guy, another younger guy with a, a bright coaching future, and he's actually closer to my age than he is to Scotty Walden's. Um, the next the right, name, he's I'll, the ripe old age of 40. He's the ripe old age of 40. <laughs> exactly. um, the next guy I'll give you a name, and you guys may be familiar with him a little bit, Pete Golding. He uh, uh, yep. <laughs> currently the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Before that, he was a defensive coordinator at UTSA. Before that, now, he, would Southern Miss fans scream if they hired a defensive coordinator? Some would, but here here's the kicker on Pete Golding. So he was here on the staff with Todd Munkin back in the day. Now during that time, Jeremy McLean, our current athletic director, was also here. Well, a few years before that. Pete Golding was the defensive coordinator at Delta State, and that's mm-hmm. where Jer- Jeremy McLean was the athletic director before he came to Southern Miss. So these guys have a pretty solid relationship. They go they go back way far. I'm not even sure that Jeremy he was on that staff at Delta State with uh, Ron. I think Ron Roberts was his head coach, and I, I think he overlapped with Dave Aranda there as well. Um, those guys all have kind of a a, a very uh, strong so, shared heritage. Now I'll work with side. Larry Fedora at Baylor. That's pretty Another impressive. Another Southern misconnection. <laughs> That's very impressive that you guys can spout that off. But because of that connection, <laughs> I think there's something there with Pete Golding. You know, if you're going to take a defensive coach, somebody, you know, he would probably be the guy. Other than that, I think it would likely be an offensive coach, which brings us to Larry Fedora. Um, you know, Larry Fedora is a guy that it would not shock me to see his name in the mix. I know he had a great time here at Hattiesburg. I know he's been back several times. Offensive coordinator now at Baylor. Um, you know, he kind of fell off a little bit towards the end of his career at North Carolina, but he brought a lot of energy to the program here. And I think that's something we desperately need right now. And I think he honestly, I think uh, from the people I've talked to that he would like an opportunity to be a head coach again. So uh, he, he is a guy that could definitely be in the mix. There's other names being thrown about. Todd Munkin would be my first choice, but Todd Munkin is going to be an NFL head coach sooner rather than later. So I'm not even going to uh, get wishful thinking as it comes to Todd Monk and people just throw out names sometimes. Hugh Freeze, after what happened Gosh. with uh, <laughs> after the whole Art Browse fiasco here and after the whole uh, Donnie Tindall scandal here, I don't think that's a direction the university would want to go, even though he's pro- he, I imagine he's trying to bail on uh, what's going on at Liberty right now, but. How weird of a world is it that uh, Hugh Freeze is currently like the least controversial figure at Liberty? <laughs> Very good point. That's a damn good point. I want to say that in case the Liberty folks are listening. That's a damn good point. Hey, uh, 2020, hey, folks. 
I will say this about Freeze, and I'm not on the Freeze train in the least bit. But you know, like we've we've done uh, we've done podcasts before with the uh, guys from Kentucky Sports Radio, and what they always said was strip the name off the jersey, right? Um, and so you don't know. So if you're just looking at if I just handed you a sheet of paper and I gave you Hugh Freeze's, uh, you know, record on the football field, points scored, all that. Uh, well, he looked know, really good. And you didn't know you were talking about him. Now, in the past, like, he didn't mention, you know, Tyndall, but we've also taken a chance on a guy like Larry Eustachy. And and this, I'm just playing the other side of this, all right? I am not a Hugh Freeze guy, but the people do, do make the arguments to me. This is how they present it, and it's not a terrible look. Um, so if you were to look at it that way, I mean, I think that half the fan base would, like, you know, pass out and die on the spot. If you hired <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, from a uh, pure football perspective, I mean, Duke Freeze is, is amazing. Well, I mean, right. Saban wanted him as his offensive coordinator after he got fired from Ole Miss, and the and the SEC was like, no, no one is allowed to hire him right now. But um, and, and, you, and you guys know, Duke I don't know if, coach. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he is a Southern Miss graduate. So that's uh-huh. where those ties come in, is that that's why that's why that – it's probably being bannered about more than you would think it would be is because he's a Southern Miss graduate. And and this is just me just trying to recall this off the top of my head, but I believe there was something in his one of his old contracts that Southern Miss was the only school he could leave for. I don't know. I, I feel like I remember that from, from somewhere, um, but you know I may be wrong on that, but I do remember that and thinking it was odd for that to be in his contract. But, Again, I'm not looking at it. I don't remember it. I'm sure it was burned uh, a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, but it's, he, it's he, he did things grad. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you said, you like you point the connections, and, and you know, Jason, you talk about like just look at the football. It's one of those things that, and I think you know, we've we've brought up Lane Kiffin as a the butt of many jokes on this podcast, and just bringing sure. it back to Conference USA. You know, when FAU hires Lane Kiffin like his stuff off field issues and everything associated with it was not the same as what's going on with, with freeze. So I'm not going to compare those two, but he was kind of, you know, you know, a off the top of the rock needed to, uh, kind of restart from ground zero kind of guy. And it worked out. And the folks over at FAU are, you know, celebrating what Southern Miss fans want, the rejuvenation of their program almost overnight. And so it's one of those things you go hire a, a Hugh Freeze and it works out, you're praised and you're the heroes and Southern Miss is back. But it's one of those things that the other side of that coin is you take a chance on somebody with a track record that has some issues in it and something blows up. And not only is the coach gone, the AD's gone and you got to hit the button. Well, and this is also a time where we just can't whiff. You know, Jeremy, whoever he hires, this this is not a time where you can whiff. I mean, everybody's probably going to take a loss this season. I think there's, you know, Southern Miss's forecast to lose between anywhere between three and five million this year. Um, you know, we we do kind of live within our means here. Um, so, I mean, that's a good thing that we don't have to, you know, have a twenty million dollars to buy somebody out or anything like that. But at the same time, uh, if you're running on a bare bones budget. And your forecast to take a loss on a loss on top of that. Uh, if you hire the wrong guy, I mean, it's not that far fetched to to wonder, you know, if there even be like a program around anymore. So, hey, it's Dana a big Demo decision. is still employed. Do what? Dana Demo is still employed. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but but you know what I'm saying? It, it's the no, magnitude right. of this hire is 
is huge. And, you know, Jamie was talking about McLean a little while earlier. And, I, you know, we, I feel blessed to have him in the position that we have him. Um, I'm glad he wanted to come back. I think that move from Troy to Southern Miss, as much as I hate to say it, it was kind of a lateral move, which means he has some, you know, some strong feelings, you know, for Hattiesburg and for the Southern Miss community. So that's good. I'm glad we got him here. Uh, I trust him implicitly uh, with the decision he has to make. And, um, and I'm sure glad that he's the one making it and not me. Hey, we got some late breaking news here. Um, Southern Miss related. So, you know, in the off season, um, Coach Hobson brought back Tony Pecorero, who um, was the defensive coordinator his first two years and then went off to FAU and then came back. And uh, the guy who was our defensive coordinator the past two years, Tim Billings, was moved over to an offensive role um, as tight ends coach. You know, he's kind of an older guy, former head coach. And uh, they just announced, which is kind of funny because I saw this the other night on the, the school website and wasn't sure if they made an error, but he has moved, been moved back <laughs> to uh to defense so i it sounds like there's some kind of a uh, co-defensive coordinator thing in the works right now with billings and uh pecorero to um so it'll be interesting to see how that i don't know if that's what's really going on but that was was on the website it says he's coming back to defense to coach nichols so interesting stuff nichols well, Nickelbacks. Well, right. I, I assume the position and not the, the currency, but <laughs> yeah, look at this I've, photograph. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard like, you know, like like spread programs that will have like slot wide receiver, outside wide receiver, split that coaching rules. I don't yeah, know if I've seen air raid coaches Nickel. do that, but I don't I, I've seen split. I mean, like plenty of programs have split corners and safeties coaches. I've never heard like yeah, inside outside DBs. That's very interesting. Well, they we've got a, a, a new defensive back coach this year, so maybe that's something to do. It was just something to move him over to defense. But I, I wonder if he's not going to take on the uh, co-coordinator role because if you go look at his bio on the website, it says defensive coordinator. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's not what's going on right now. But he's being moved back to defense, which is probably a good thing, especially given the performance the other night. Yeah, and if we know anything about athletic department websites, getting – proper positions and names and titles on things is not the most important thing to be working no, on. No, not at all. <laughs> so, but it was it was right after they moved Scotty to enter before Scott right when Scotty was listed. So it was kind of like, okay, are they telling us something here and just haven't announced it? Strange. Anyways, that just there popped up on my my tweet, my uh text, so the people in the know. Well, uh I think that was all we had for you guys. We uh, appreciated you coming on, and we feel more informed because of it. For uh, those who, who are listening and don't know where to find you guys, where, where can we find you guys and, and listen to uh, the, what is it? What is the official name of the podcast now? The Scotty Walden Hype Train? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Scotty Too Hotty, we'll take it. Uh, yeah, to, to the Another t- school in the state will get mad at you for that. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. That's right. Um, hey, and kudos for getting our name right. Uh, there's, I can't tell you how many times we've done shows and be like, oh, this is the To The Top podcast. I'm like, no, hold it. You got you to gotta, <laughs> you gotta add that. But yeah, To The Top Talk. We're on, uh, if you search for Southern Miss on iTunes, we pop up just before the actual official Southern Miss podcast. So we got that going for us right now. Um, on Twitter, To The Top Talk, I'm Jamie underscore Arrington, and he's Bumper J. Bailey. There you go. Well, we, uh, we wish you a an interesting season and i have no doubt we'll 
be back on again at some point, breaking down whatever is going on. Now that if we you want a parting shot, do you want to give us uh, how the West is going to play out now that Southern Miss might not be as prominently featured as uh, we might have thought? I, yes, I don't think anybody's going to win it. I think that <laughs> <laughs> what I see so That's far, cheating. <laughs> I don't know that anybody deserves it. <laughs> you do know that the end of the season, after all delays and cancellations, we're going to the most conference USA way to determine this is they're going to draw a name out of the hat to determine who. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a series of coin flips. <laughs> Judy's going to pull up on her power wheel and they're going to hey, put up. They changed midfield. the rule, the tiebreakers the week before the end of the season last year. Right, right, right. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's par for the course. Oh well. Until then, <laughs> until hey, we, 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 may we, your hope, roster remain unquarantined. Likewise, <laughs> sure. and hopefully we get to see you guys on the field this year. Yeah, we hope that too. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, we appreciate it, fellas. So thanks again to Jamie and Jason. Great to have you all on, and we'll see everybody next week, and Rice Fight! This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.